Welcome to Peace Lab, a podcast focused on current events, faith, and the face of Mennonite peacemaking in the 21st century. I'm Hannah Heinzecker, your host for today and the executive director of the Mennonite Inc., a multimedia publication connected to Mennonite Church USA. The Peace Lab podcast is a partnership between the Mennonite and the Peace and Justice Support Network, an organization led by my co-host for this podcast, Jason Boone. Today on the podcast, we've got a very timely conversation in store for you as we careen towards Election Day in the United States on November 8th. I'm joined by Mark Schloniger, pastor at North Goshen Mennonite Church in Indiana and one of the founders of the Election Day communion movement. Well, Mark, so tell me, as we're kind of thinking about this particular election cycle, which feels like it's gone on for a very long time, what has given you hope? You know, you lead off with a question like that, and that's, uh, I think most people would say that this election season has anything but, been anything but hopeful. But there are some things I think that, that we can be hopeful about, and one of those is I think in many ways it's kind of lifted the veil on what we're dealing with or, or what what is happening in our country right now. I think that people are recognizing things that maybe they had been blind to or hadn't recognized before or f- for whatever reason. I think this election campaign has exposed some of the ugliness that has always been present, but maybe for many of us, we've never experienced. Things like racism, uh, sexism, corruption, violence that has been happening and so forth. And so I think that is a good thing. I think it's a good thing, not that this campaign season has instigated those things, but I think it has exposed what has already been there. Uh, The second thing is I think it lifts the veil on uh, the truth about our government and how power is used often to serve the powerful. And and I think there is a, a latent groundswell of people feeling like the government doesn't represent them. Uh, And, you know, many things can be said about Donald Trump's campaign and so forth. But one of the things that can be said is I I think uh, it represents a group of people who who are feeling like things as they are in Washington are not connected to the day-to-day lives of people. And, And so I think both Republicans and Democrats are sensing that something is amiss. And so I think, I think those are good things, and I think it creates an excellent opportunity for the church to speak into some of those things. And I think people are realizing of how different we as followers of Christ are to live in this world, uh, how different we are to live compared to what we see happening elsewhere. That makes sense. And I wonder then to kind of flip that question is there anything that's caused you anxiety as you've walked through this election season? Sure, you, you know, and I think it, I, I, I think this election season, as I said, lifts the veil and creates an opportunity for the church. But at times, it's disappointing to see how the, there's such an opportunity for the church. But it seems like, in many ways, the church has become embedded into a practice of politics that is quite different from the politics of Christ, the hope that we find in Christ. And I think this happens on the left and the right. One of the things that I've thought about just last week is, you know, Martin Luther talked about the Babylonian captivity of the church. And I I wonder if we can begin thinking of it as the Washingtonian captivity of the church, that we see our faith as or maybe we see our politics first and then and then how it 
uh, impacts our faith rather than the opposite way around. And so my, my fear in, about Election Day communion uh, is something that uh, I had helped get start, but my fear is that we end up calling people to, into a vague unity uh, without truly embracing Christ's call to practice a completely different politics. Sure. No, this reminds me of a study that I just read. I don't know if you saw this too, that showed that for the first time, political parties and which political party you belong to was influencing whether or not you might marry someone from another political party. And so that's, <laughs> wow. it's this sign kind of of the deepening polarization. And I feel yeah. that in the church too, that without a doubt, that yeah. the other, whatever other political side is for you is becoming even more foreign and so that kind of leads into thinking about this idea of election day communion that you mentioned. Um, right. Talk a little bit about how this got started and what your hopes are for it and what you hope it achieves. In 2008, I was serving as pastor of Springdale Mennonite in Virginia. And it's funny that 2008 campaign between uh, John McCain and Barack Obama I thought it was pretty ugly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I think many of us would uh, long for that a campaign like that one than what we've seen this year. But I thought, you know, I've always been intrigued by ways in which we as Christians go about our practices, ways in which they can, they can, it can speak into uh, what we see happening in the world. And, you know, a friend, I remember a friend... Uh, Isaac Viegas in uh, North Carolina, a story that he had shared about washing feet in front of an immigration detention center. And that, I can't remember when that was, but, but I was thinking about that, about a practice of foot washing at that place had a different sort of message about what we're doing as Christians. And so I thought about, you know, we as Christians know how to practice communion, uh, or, you know, it's a normal practice of ours. But it doing the only thing different is choosing to do that on election day and how that might change or sharpen uh, what we're doing in a practice of communion. So anyway, all these ideas were going in my mind in 2008. And I thought about having a communion service on election day, and we did it as a church. And, and we had our youth group uh, make campaign signs and put them out in the front of the church. And, you know, we had fun with it. And I remember that evening, election day evening, uh, coming to the church early and I was preparing the little communion cups that we use and the bread. And I was the only one in the church. All the lights were off. It was the way I remember it. It was dark. And the only, and I was in the kitchen preparing these cups. And as I was doing so, as, as I was putting the juice in each little cup, it became a time of meditation for me. And I would be repeating the words that I knew that would be said later. Uh, this is the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood as I filled each one. And it was an incredible, peaceful time. I, I remember it as significant. But as I was doing that, the church building got a, there was a phone call. And so I stopped what I was doing and I thought it probably was someone who was uh, asking for directions. We invited the wider community, although we didn't expect a whole lot of outside participation. Picked up the phone and it was Sarah Palin on a robocall saying that there's still hope for our country. You can still go and vote. We need to take our country back and so forth. And I thought how perfect 
that was just as a metaphor of how the call to partisan politics often interrupts uh, what we're doing as a church. So anyway, uh, so we had that service. And then in 2012, in I would share about that service with different people and people were interested. And so I thought it might resonate with others. In 2012, I was in the process of moving out here to Goshen uh, to become pastor of North Goshen Mennonite. It was August or so before I had officially begun at the church. I thought, you know, I invited a couple friends, uh, Kevin Gosser, a pastor at Stanton Mennonite in Virginia was one of them. And we put down $20. Uh, I wrote up some thoughts of what I thought, why do communion on election day, made a website. And as it went on, we ended up getting almost 900 congregations over all 50 states. I think, I'm not exactly sure of this, but I think there were like 33 different denominations represented. And we got all these reports back saying how people found this a significant thing that they had done. So that's kind of how it got started. This year, uh, 2016, I really haven't been the one involved in organizing the Election Day communion wider than than our congregation. Uh, Jason Boone, uh, director of the Peace and Justice Support Network, has taken over leadership, and I've been happy to see ways in which this has caught on, continues to catch on with different congregations. And is it right that you even wrote for CNN at one point about yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine the, uh, there's a reason why people say don't read the comments, but. Oh, yes, yes. No, <laughs> I'm we, sure you're from We know that at the Mennonite. I know you do. Yes, we have a 30-day comment sabbatical, so. <laughs> right. That's something we're familiar with. But um, you've also used this phrase, a politics of communion, and I can kind of see, and even just you're talking about how this came to be, what that might mean. But break that down a little bit for our listeners. What what do you mean by this idea of a politics of communion? Well, I think the practice of communion, well, there's so much meaning. You can go, depending on how you, you celebrate communion, you can, you can emphasize different things. On election day, having communion emphasizes what I like to think of the politics uh, embedded. I think it, it's always there but but when i talk about politics i'm meaning like in the wider sense how a group of people choose to organize themselves distribute resources hold power relate to others outside of the group politics is inherently social and but the problem that that i'm seeing is that the the practice of politics in our country isn't doesn't seem to be really politics because it seems to be that it, what's best for me or what's best for the group that I identify with. And there's different ways that we identify uh, based on race, wealth, sex, region of the country, and so forth. And so seeing communion as a political act, uh, seeing it as inherently social, I think Jesus has some things to say about that and in, in, in what we remember at the communion table, that our practice of politics looks quite different than the politics of uh, the United States. Uh, one, one way that I see is we gather around a table, a table that is hosted by a victim, Jesus. And, and so we choose to identify with Jesus, but also with others who find themselves to be on the underside of an empire expressing a willingness to offer our bodies just as Jesus offered his body 
uh, for us. And so that I, I think it naturally extends some of the issues of our day, our police violence and how African-American people are, are the fears embedded there and are often targets of that. In the Goshen area, I've been told that the level of anxiety among Latino members of our community is almost at an all-time high. People feeling that they are the targets of police enforcement. And just last week, I was talking with a woman who happens to be a citizen, but is also a leader in our community, who said, given some of the ways in which the rhetoric and the violence and the threats of violence and the uncertainty what happens uh, with the election, she has gotten extra cash on hand in case things get violent after the election. Now, my first impulse on that is like, of almost not dismissing it, but thinking, well, that's a small chance. But on the other hand, I'm not her. And there's a reason why she's doing that. Latino members of our community are feeling targeted. How do we choose to express our solidarity just like Jesus expressed his solidarity with us, with people like this? How do we deal with offenders? We work at forgiveness, uh, giving up the right to seek revenge on others. Uh, we work at restoration, but we also work with victims and advocating for support and advocacy for them. And so these are, that's, these are some of the practices of politics. We want to make sure that offenders aren't put back in places where they can continue to abuse others. Even as we work at restoration for them, how, how, do, we, how do we go about that as Christians? And, there's, and on and on it goes. How do we deal with our quest, our drive for power? Jesus says you want to be first, then strive for last. That's a political act. How do we deal with violence? Following Jesus, we refuse to fight violence with violence, uh, but go about the hard work of working for peace. How do we deal with citizenship issues, immigration issues? Following Jesus, we offer hospitality to others just as Jesus offers hospitality to us. And I could go on and on here, Hannah. <laughs> I mean, I even think, you know, with the environment. Uh, and I, it, How about the uh, native peoples at Standing Rock? I think the communion table and the politics that are embedded in that should inform how we as Christians act in this world. And so that's what I mean by politics. Sure. No, that makes sense. And actually, I, right before I came to do this interview, I was looking at Facebook and noticed all these people checking into Standing sure. Rock. This yeah. kind of interesting social media solidarity kind right. of happening with this movement. And so yeah, that's on my mind too. You know, and, and people will say, well, you can't really run a nation state this way. And I'd agree that they're quite right. Uh, but on the other hand, Jesus didn't heal the sick, drive out demons, forgive sins, die and rise again so that we can be put in charge of nation states. Jesus disarms the rulers and the authorities, makes a public spectacle of them. And that's, that's Jesus is the one that we follow in doing that. Well, so not all Mennonites will vote next Tuesday, but many will head to the voting booths on November 8th. And so do you have some questions that you think that Mennonites should be thinking about as they cast their vote or as they think about whether or not to vote? Well, I, I think, first of all, as you said, the first question is whether or not to vote. Is it wise for us as Christians to vote for president? And I, and I think that that is that is an issue we all we, we can answer differently, but it, we need to have before us. Last week, I was thinking, so, you know, and candidates always want to emphasize, whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or anyone who's come before, 
of their Christian faith to appeal to a wide group of people. But on the other hand, we're electing a, a person, a president, who will preside over the armed forces and who, because of that office, must make cold calculations and make decisions in the best interests of our country, regardless of the collateral damages. And so it begs the question, if people are, if these candidates are identifying them themselves as Christians, do we as Christians want a brother or sister in Christ uh, to be elected to a position that is fundamentally at odds with what they're saying about their faith? Uh, and so sometimes I've wondered, you know, maybe we as Christians should be electing the best pagan <laughs> instead of, but but I I say that jokingly, but but there is a question to be had on whether and how to participate. But on the other hand, this year I think more maybe more so than other years, I've been made aware of how our votes do have real consequences uh, for people in the world. Uh, I think about the people that I share the communion table with here in our own congregation the people that I worship with every Sunday, some of them immigrants, uh, racial minorities, people working 40 hours a week, earning a wage that puts them, that still puts them below the poverty level. I think about unborn babies, uh, babies born into poverty, people with disabilities. And it seems to me that if we are to exercise our votes as Christians, we must do so with an eye on not what is best for me, on the way in which this campaign season seems to appeal to towards that more selfish end. But what is best for those people who I share communion with? What is best for my neighbor? And, and by the way, I think Democrats and Republicans have some things to say about that. They have different ways of addressing them, but unfortunately, in this election cycle and in this campaign, I, I don't hear anything about that. I, I don't hear much about why these policies will help to provide for the least of these in our country. So, but those are the issues that I think Christians should be concerned about. Well, thanks, Mark, for talking with us a little bit about Election Day Communion. And I know that there are events scheduled on November 8th all around the country. So if people right. want to participate, if this is something they're intrigued with, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, uh, I would send them to the website, electiondaycommunion2016.com. Uh, as I mentioned before, Jason Boone with the Peace and Justice Support Network is providing a lot of the administration of the, if you want to call it an Election Day Communion campaign this year, and there's more information at that website. So that's electiondaycommunion2016.com. Great. Any final words that you'd like to add, things we didn't ask about? I don't think so. <laughs> all right. We covered it all. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Mark. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much to Mark for joining us and to you all for tuning in today. Whether or not you vote on November 8th, we hope you'll consider joining an Election Day communion gathering near you. The Peace Lab podcast is a partnership between the Mennonite Inc. and the Peace and Justice Support Network. You can find and listen to all of our past episodes online at Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at the websites for both the Mennonite and PJSN. Our theme song for the podcast was recorded by David Fisher-Fast. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk with you again next time on the Peace Lab podcast. Mm-hmm.